Good morning, Victory family. How you guys doing this morning? Y'all doing good? Are y'all alive for Jesus this morning? Do you love him this morning? So good to be in the house. We have people here joining us. We have people joining us from all around the world, Puerto Rico, Nigeria, and United Kingdom. Go ahead and give them a shout out. We also have our our Victory Hamilton Mill family joining us, as Pastor Chris would say, the mill. And then we have our family, my wife and my family, at Victory North Cobb. Make some noise over there at Victory North Cobb. So good to be in the house. So good to be at the Norcross campus. I really, I really just love the fact that God is doing some miraculous things with the global body, the global victory body. And here's what I love. I love that we're in this series, and as we began this series, launching the book of Acts, talking about the birth of the church, the series sent. And one of the things that we've said is that we gather for worship and we scatter to witness. Gather for worship, we scatter for witness. And I want to encourage you, when we talk about that gathering for worship, when you come into the house of God, come in with thanksgiving in your heart. Come in with praise in your heart. Come in making a joyful noise, because I know some of y'all can't sing. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Come on, somebody. It is important that we bring that so that God can impart to us power as we go out to our respective places of influence and be able to witness the to the glory of God, of who Jesus is. Amen? I remember, look, I, I remember like it was yesterday, July 2010, I walked right through those metal doors right there on a Saturday night, and I sat in the seat right there, me and my wife. And a couple of weeks later, we packed up everything from the coastal Georgia area, Camden County, Georgia. Come on, make some noise, Camden County. One person, that's my wife, praise God. <laughs> Woodbine, Georgia. That's where my wife is from. She's from Woodbine, Georgia. One stoplight. <laughs> but a few weeks later, I found myself back at Victory. Me and my wife, we packed up everything, and we moved here to be a part of this church. And here's what, here's what I loved. I loved uh, a lot of great things about Victory. But... The primary thing that I loved about Victory was ever since I've been here, there's never been any cotton candy, wishy-washy. Come on, somebody. Y'all don't even know where I'm going. Some of you do. Cotton candy, wishy-washy sermons up here, pity-patting around issues. There's been the truth of God being spoken from these platforms ever since I've been at Victory. And I want to just give honor to whom honor is due. First of all, I want to just give honor to Pastors Johnson and Pastor Summer for carrying on a legacy of truth proclaiming. Come on, somebody. Give it up for that. That began with Pastors Dennis and Colleen. Come on. Now, I don't know if you know this, but... People, people don't like truth. Now, I can only speak for myself because, you know, when I came to Christ, I was broke, busted, disgusted. I was messed up. 
toe up from the flow up. How many of y'all was right there? And truth, truth pulled me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and gave me a life and gave me standard and gave me something to look forward to. Because Jesus is truth, and Jesus is not just true among other truths. He is the truth. He's just not in a basket of a couple of truths. Maybe this is true. Well, Jesus can be true among them. No, Jesus is the truth. He is the place where truth starts, and he is the place where truth ends. Where would we be? Where would we be without Jesus? Somebody said, hell. <laughs> Turn to someone and say, facts. The scripture, John 3.36, it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son does not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. Are we going to speak truth in here? Amen. Now, I hear some preachers in here saying, amen. How many, how many proclaimers, that's what preaching is. How many preachers do I have in this building today? Amen. A few of you, a few of you. Now, notice I didn't say how many of you went to school to learn how to preach. I didn't say how many of you preached your trial sermon at the AME, Church of the Living God of Christ. As we continue in the book of Acts, I want you to understand that Peter's first sermon, the first sermon of the New Testament church was a trial run, and he hit a home run. It was the first New Testament sermon that we are going to explore today to really get an idea of the power of preaching. We're talking about the birth of the church, and I love it how we've gone through the book of Acts, how they gather in the upper room, and there was a mighty rushing wind that came to the room, and that's, that's great. And people will fill with the Holy Spirit. That's great. Cloven tongues of fire in the room. That's all good. And people heard each other in their own languages. All of those things are good. But let me explain something to you. Not one soul was added to the kingdom of God until Peter's voice crescendoed above them all and he preached the sermon that God had given him. 3,000 souls were added to the church because of the preaching of the gospel. Can I get an amen in here? And so that's what we're talking about today. Over there in North Cobb, I want, you to, I want you to gear in. I want you to be paying attention because it is the preaching of the gospel that got us here today. Victory Hamilton Mill, it is the preaching of the gospel that got us here today. North Cross, it is the preaching of the gospel that has us here today. It is truth proclaiming of who Jesus is. We just sung about it. All hail King Jesus. All, all hail the Lord of heaven and earth. I love it. I love it how Romans 10, 13 through 15, it says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But look what it says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach 
unless they are sent. Everyone say sent. See, as we close out this sermon and close out this series, I want you to know that we're not just sent to hug babies. We're not, we're, not, we're not just sent to feed the poor. We're not just sent to dig water wells. We're sent to preach the name of Jesus Christ around the globe so that people can know who he is. How will they hear without a preacher? Now, how many preachers I have in here? We have a few more preachers. By the time I'm done today, every hand across these campuses are going to be up. Now, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Are y'all ready to talk about the power of preaching? Now, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to, we're going to explore Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 14, going all the way to verse 41. So we're going to do a lot of reading today. But it's important for us to read this so that we can understand what happened in that sermon so that 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. What happened in the sermon to a once hostile crowd to the name of Jesus ultimately turned their lives around and gave their life to Christ? We're going to explore the three keys to the power of preaching today so that we can understand not only what Peter's assignment was in that time, but what is your assignment? What is your assignment for the gospel as we go out and we are sent to proclaim the gospel wherever we go? What is your assignment with Jesus? Turn to someone and say, what is your assignment? <laughs> now, if you're a husband in here, you're thinking, well, I got, I got to fix the door at the home. <laughs> Let's get into it. Acts 2, verse 14, going through 21. Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He's talking about the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were speaking in tongues that the Spirit gave them utterance. But this is what, ha this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, but before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, three keys to the power of preaching. The first thing that we can learn from these scriptures is that his preaching, Peter's preaching, his preaching was explanatory. See, Peter preached to give an explanation of what they were seeing. What he was doing was preaching connects you with what you're seeing with your eyes to what God is saying in the spirit realm. It connected them in this moment to what they were seeing, what was, what was unfolding to them before their eyes. The preaching that Peter preached with prophetically connected them to a moment in time that God was talking about in that day, in that time that they were actually in. It's a way 
for us to make sense of what God is doing in the earth when we hear the preached word. And let's be honest. You think about it. When you think about Pentecost, I know we all, we all like to look back, and hindsight is 2020. We can look back and we can say a lot of things. But Pentecost, let's be honest, it was chaos. A rushing wind, fire floating around the room, People talk. Now, tell me how many of y'all, like, for real, for real, are like me? I would have cut out. I would have ran, y'all. <laughs> this Something ain't right up in here. What's going on in here? It was chaos. It was confusion. But you know what preaching does? God can take the confusion out of chaos and put clarity in confusion, put clarity in chaos to make sense of what was happening. Now, think about it. Many times... In our own lives, when it comes to preaching, oftentimes we're so, we're so ready for God to change situations in our lives, to change circumstances in our lives. We're so interested in him, in him changing the outcome. Oftentimes, God is not trying to change outcomes. He's trying to change our perspective of the outcome. What preaching does, it, it allows you to, to step into what God is doing versus what you want God to do. I want you to understand, it, I've, I've, I've learned this. Many Christians have kept themselves up at night praying for God to change outcomes, and the only thing that we need oftentimes is for God to change a perspective. I remember in my own life, I, I was I was laying in the bed. My back was hurt for three days, and I had been praying for three days for God to change the outcome. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't move around. I was just, my back was, was stuck in a position that I could not move, and I kept praying, God, heal my back. God, heal my back. God, heal my back. And the Lord was saying to me, you don't understand what's happening right now. See, you're praying, you're praying that I change your back, but I'm praying that you change your mind. What he was trying to get me to do was to change my mind about my profession. He was trying to get me to loose, loose my, my dependency on my career and my job to trust him to follow after him and leave my job behind so that I can trust him as I went to preach the gospel. Now, here's what happened. When the Lord had been speaking that to me, not just for those three days, he has been speaking it to me for about three months. But I wasn't listening. And sometimes when we don't listen to the voice of God, sometimes we have to listen to circumstance. Now, let me talk to somebody over here. Let me talk. Y'all already got it. Let me talk to y'all over here. <laughs> I said to the Lord, okay, Lord, I will leave my job. And I was healed within 30 minutes. <laughs> See, sometimes God is not trying... God is not trying to change outcomes. He's trying to change our perspective. I went in that morning. I was healed. Went in, put in my two weeks notice. Oh, God. Oh, God. What have I done? <laughs> Peter, in this scenario, they, the people. How, you know, how many of y'all know? I can't stand when people say they. They has no responsibility. <laughs> you, you, you hear what I'm saying? 
They, the people said, these people must be drunk. Peter said, this is what God was talking about. Y'all remember Job? They, the people said, Job, you must have done something wrong. God said, Job, you're not in this situation because you've done something wrong. You've done something right. And the devil is trying to prove to himself, not God, trying to prove to himself that if your circumstances change, you will change with your circumstances and forget about God just like the rest of everybody else. But how many of you know when God begins to speak a word, it shifts your perspective and preach a word. It explains what's happening in your life. Many of you are here today and you stay because you heard the preaching of truth and it explained where you were, where you were in the journey of following Christ. Oh, I don't have enough people. I hear you at North Cobb. North Cobb is up clapping and they're doing all kinds. They loud over there, y'all. But it shifts your perspective. You know, this is what the Lord said in Isaiah. He says, see, 43, 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. But look at this question right here. Do you not perceive it? That means that God could be doing something new that you don't perceive, that your perception is off. It says, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness. And streams in the wasteland. Wasteland. Here's what I want you to know. If you knew the way out, you would have already been out. That's why when God does a new thing, it, you, you have to perceive it. And oftentimes it is perceived through the power of preaching. We have to have, when we look at the world today, we have to look at the world in one instance and we have to look at the word in another instance. We have to tie those things together. We need to be looking at a newspaper and we need to be looking in the Word of God so that we can understand while the world is shifting and toiling and turning and worry, we have the peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. So preaching gives perspective. Explain, explanatory preaching gives perspective. It's prophetic. It's personal. It brings you out of the realm of just knowing prophecy in history. And it places you in the reality of the opportunity to participate in his story. See, the people there that day, they did not understand that they were a part of his story, historical prophecy. Do you, do you understand that what happens is explanatory preaching. It takes you, I'm talking to you, North Cobb and Hamilton Mill. It takes you from being a third-person passive observer to a first-person active participant. Oh, I need y'all to get that. See, it shifts you from they to we. Like I'm a part of it. To, from them to you. It makes you exist inside of the story that God is writing. Like right now, when I said, how many preachers do I have in the house? We had about a third the first time. 
Second time, we had about 60%, all right? And this time, I want you to see something in this. Because what Peter is talking about when he's talking about this prophecy from Joel, what he's saying is, he said that you are a part of the story. He's saying, I'm talking to you. He's saying the spirit is being poured out on everyone. Everyone now. Everybody's included now. Children are included. Old men are included. Women are included. Men are included. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Because when you see this, there's a specific group in the room that when this happens, that I, prom I probably believe that made people wonder, is this God? Could this be God? There was a specific group of people in the room. Acts 1.14 that talks about who was in the room. It said, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus. Now, let me tell you why this is important when we talk about the power of preaching. Let me, let me speak to the ladies. Preaching is not just a men's sport. Preaching is not just for men. Do you notice what he said? He said, your sons and who? Will do what? will prophesy. This is, not this is not foretelling or forthtelling. This is proclamation. He's saying your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And I'm telling you right now, some of you ladies in here, you've been holding back the gift. You've been holding it in because you felt like you have been subdued by a fall, by a wrong perspective of, of doctrine where it says women shouldn't preach. But the scripture tells us your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It said your, it said your men servants and your what? Your maid servants will receive the spirit and they will prophesy. So I say to you ladies, preach. Preach the gospel. We are in the last days. We are in the last days. Preach the gospel. If you're single, preach under the authority of your church. If you're, if you're married, preach under the authority of your husband. But here's what you have to do. Preach the gospel. Come on, somebody. Now, if you're part of Victory Church and you have this song playing in your head in the background when our wives preach or some other woman preacher comes in that women shouldn't preach. Here's what, here's what I'm saying to you. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall proclaim the good news. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. See, preaching brings in and puts you in the story, whether it's person to person or pulpit to pew or, or platform to groups of people. God is saying that each and every one of us no matter who we are, are called to proclaim, are called to preach the gospel. Now, let me see how many people in here call themselves preachers now. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. We're in the house. Now, his preaching was explanatory. Now, let's go on because it's important that we see not only was it explanatory, and we talk about the three keys to the power of preaching. Let's go on to the next part of Peter's sermon. Acts 2, 22 through 25 and 30 through 36. Peter is saying, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him 
in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Aren't you glad that our God could not be held by death? For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Verse 30, therefore, being a prophet, speaking of David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, everyone say this Jesus. God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he says himself, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, here's the second key. His preaching was exalting Jesus. His preaching was exalted, exalting Jesus. Now, this is major. This is major because today you can click on sermons on YouTube and you won't be able to tell whether it's a gospel presentation or a TED Talk. You won't, we won't, you won't be able to tell if it's a call to repentance or if it's a self, self-help seminar. But Peter is saying, through all of these words that he spoke, Jesus, him, him, he, him, the Lord, he, the Christ, the Christ, his, this Jesus, he, the Lord, this Jesus, Lord and Christ. Peter is saying, if your preaching is going to be effective, it's going to be Holy Spirit led, God empowered, it has to be about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, the Son of God. It has to be. John 5, 39, it says, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Jesus is saying everything that you see and read in the scriptures, they are talking about him. They are talking about him. And that means our preaching should be Christ-centered. That scripture should be interpreted primarily from the perspective of either Jesus' character, his values, his principles, who he is. So everything that we see in the Bible and including in our preaching, Jesus must be the main character. I pray to God that nowhere on a victory campus Hamilton Mill, Midtown, North Cobb, North Cross, that as we get up and preach, that you receive main character vibes from us. Like we're the main character of the story. Jesus is the main character of the story. He's the main character of the preaching. What Peter is, ta- what Peter is telling them in this moment, he's saying to them, listen, guys, 
I want y'all to understand, you killed the main character. You killed the one who the whole story was all about. You crucified him. Acts 2 and 23, it says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. The one you chose to crucify is now Lord in Christ. Now, that didn't just end on that day. See, even now, as we talk about preaching, as we talk about putting Jesus at the center and making him the main character and keeping him the main character at all times, sometimes we just get too carried away with our own charisma. We get too carried away with our own, with our own shenanigans. Y'all know how many shenanigans out there? Preachers flying in on ropes and all kinds of stuff and... <laughs> No, seriously, to try to appeal. Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying all of that is wrong. I'm, what I'm saying is when it comes about your display and your appeal and it is not about Christ, we're off. We're off. I've never seen a preacher, I've never seen a preacher fly in on, 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 on a zip line and people get saved. I've just never seen it. I mean, I mean you may have seen it. I've never seen it. I've never seen a preacher fly and I'm saying, oh, you know what? He looks like an angel. I want to get saved. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus in our songs. Jesus in our, Jesus in our announcements. Jesus in our prayers. Jesus, Jesus in our preaching. Jesus in our lives, Jesus when we wake up in the morning, everything that we do, everything that we are, everything who we are, it's all because of him. And when we, and we, when we remove him from the main character role, what we're saying is we want to exalt what we want above God. We have competing things, and oftentimes Jesus is competing with our opinions. Jesus is competing. He's competing with our race. We're preaching our race. We're preaching our, we're preaching our, our politics. Come on, you, Republic, you, you Republicrats. <laughs> but competing with our political ideology, our financial motivations. We preach, we preach these things. We preach, we preach our own motivation. Jesus competing with our gender identity. Jesus is competing with all these things. And here's what I'm saying. Everything, everything should go through the filter of Jesus and not Jesus through the filter of your thing. Everything. The question is, is like, who is, who is Jesus to you? Is he your Savior and Lord? Because he's either, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There's no other way about it. We have to preach Jesus. And if you're a pastor under the sound of my voice and you're not 
preaching the supremacy of Christ and who Jesus is, step up or step down. I mean, there's no two ways about it. If you're a preacher of the gospel, it is not the gospel of your gender identity. It is not the gospel of your racial history. It is not, it is not the gospel of your, of your financial motivation. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach. Paul said, I don't want to come knowing anything but Christ and him crucified. Jesus must be exalted. This is what Peter displayed in his preaching. Peter is saying to them in this moment, everything that I'm saying right now in this moment, I want you to understand that the one who you crucified, he is the Christ. He is the one who is Lord and Christ. It is him that you cannot get away from. It is him that you will stand before at the judgment seat. It is him who will either say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest or depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It is Jesus that is the gate. He is the life. He is the truth. He is the one that was in the beginning. He is the tree of life. He is the tree of life. He is the ark of safety that, that Noah jumped in. The Bible talks about him. He is the blood that was over the doorpost of the Passover. He is the fire by night. He is the bread of life, the manna that fell from heaven. Come on, somebody. It is Jesus all throughout the scriptures. It is Jesus. He is the sacrifice. It is all about him. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to begin today talking to you about good self-help schemes. Especially coming off this fast. <laughs> you know, don't eat bread. Well, bread is good for you now. <laughs> Eggs aren't good for you. People don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the word of life. Bread. Come on, y'all. <laughs> Just exercise. Come on, somebody. Just exercise. Y'all exercising over there at North Cobb. <laughs> three keys. Three keys to preaching. His preaching was explanatory. His preaching exalted Jesus. And lastly, his preaching was an expectation of a response. When Peter stood up and he began to preach the word of God, preach what the prophets had spoken about Jesus, which he learned from Jesus. When he began to tie in all of it in to make sense of what they were seeing, he demanded a response in the preaching. He remanded. Listen, he says, the one you chose, you choose, chose to crucify is Lord and Christ. He preached so that they would respond. Acts 2, 37 through 41. Look what he says. He says, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls 
were added to them. I want you to see this because this is the type of preaching that people often say in our day and time, you're doing too much. That's not love. You need to be a little bit more kind. And I'm not saying being, not be kind. I'm saying be compassionate in our preaching. But oftentimes what, what we do is try to acclimate to what the world wants to hear and how they want to hear it. And I want you to just understand, we cannot draw our template and our method for how to preach effectively from the world. You mean to tell, you mean to tell me that you expect you, when you didn't know Christ, to tell a preacher how to preach? I didn't say anybody else. I'm saying you. Listen, if I could have had it my way, that woman who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me and gave me a book about hell, literally, that's what happened to me. She shared the gospel and she gave me a book about hell and told me to read it. I don't know what I said to her, but evidently, whatever I said, it was wrong. She basically said, if there's anybody on earth that's going to hell, it is you. <laughs> Let me give you this book. You need to know your directions when you get there. <laughs> I went home. I read the book. I'm here today. Be saved from this perverse generation. Repent and be baptized. Now, this word repent means, it's metaneo. It means to change your mind. Change your mind, your way, the way you think and do, the direction in which you go. It means to turn. Now, I was going in one direction, like many of us, and we heard the gospel. We felt, we felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is a great thing to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to condemn you. He's going to convict you to convict you to life so that you can have eternal life. And once you turn your back, this is what happened to me. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I turned and I, I, I turned towards Jesus. And when I, as soon as I turned, I felt the love of Jesus. And it began to draw me into him. And it began to draw me step by step. I began to walk and Jesus began to bring people in my life so that, so that they can walk me through the path of discipleship, being a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. Then I was a part of a group of people. They told me, hey, you need to, you need to be baptized. I got baptized. You need to read your word. Yes, you need to read your word. I begin to read my word, coming up with all types of crazy revelations. And they're like, no, that God is not saying all of that. How many of you know that you need some people to help you in your doctrine? Because when I first began to read the Bible, everything I read in the Bible was about me. Because I was still selfish. And Jesus had to teach me all of that is not about you. All of that is about me. You are not the main character. You're not David. You're Goliath. 
You hear what I'm saying? You, you understand what I'm saying? He began to walk me through, continuously walking me through with people. And I'm telling you right now today, repentance is not you just say a prayer and go back home. Repentance is I say a prayer and I begin to do life with people that begin to walk me through. Notice that Peter said that all of you be baptized and it says 3,000 people were added to the kingdom that day. That means that 3,000 people were baptized. That means they had to hold someone's hand, go into the water, allow that person to grab them like Pastor Johnson uh, did today, that young man, and then he had to take them down like me. Like me, I don't do that, that that nice baptism like Pastor Johnson, you know. Oh, oh. You're going down, brother. I'm going to wash you. You're going to get washed today. <laughs> Preaching. It should provoke a response of turning. Now, I want you to understand, like, before we go to that, I need you to understand this. The people who, pre who Peter is talking about, 53 days before this moment, were the people who were saying, crucify him. We're still in the days of Peter's sermon. We're still in those days. We're still those people that are saying, that are saying, you know what? Pilate say, hey, I don't want to kill this man, Jesus. And the people are saying, no, give us Barabbas. Because oftentimes we don't want what God wants. We want our own revolution. We want, we want our gender revolution. We want our sexual liberation. We want all of these different types of things, and when it comes to choosing Jesus, when he gets in the way of our thing, what often happens is we're screaming out in our life, in our lifestyle, in our mindsets, crucify him. He's in the way. In our lives. When we think about what we want versus what God wants, when we think about our political ideologies and what we want for our nation and our country, what we want for our careers and our jobs, oftentimes if Jesus is saying something countercultural to what we want and he gets in the way of what we want, we want a revolution. But oftentimes what we really need and desire is repentance. And we often scream out in our lives, crucify him, give me Barabbas, don't give me me Jesus because he's not going to help me now we're still in those days I want you to understand the last conversation that happened with Jesus was a man saying to Jesus prove to me you're God by giving me what I want right now you remember the thief on the cross prove to me you're God by getting me out of this situation and I can imagine Jesus on the cross saying, sir, you clearly don't understand your situation. You're asking me to take you down, but you, what? But you should be asking me to take you up. Yeah. Power of preaching. It demands a response. 
Repent. Confess. Be baptized. So that your sins are forgiven. So that then you, preachers, how many preachers do I have in here? How many preachers at North Cobb? How many preachers at Hamilton Mill? You preachers, once you have experienced the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, you too can go proclaim the good news about what he has done for you. Keeping him as the main character. It is not of works lest any man should boast. It is not you that brought you here today. It is not you that woke you up this morning. It is not you that gave you a heart to live right in these last and evil days like the old church says. It is not you. It is Jesus. And we're sent to proclaim his good news. I want you to stand to your feet right here. I want you to think about what we just talked about because some of you are here today in this building at North Cobb or at Hamilton Mill. You're saying, Pastor, that was a, a decent message about the power of preaching. But where do I find myself in it? You find yourself in it in that last point. See, here's, here, here's the reality. There's many times that I've woke up in the morning and God has been saying, go right, now go left. Oftentimes, my lifestyle doesn't line up with Jesus, what Jesus wants for me. And I, I, I can promise you, in a, in a group of people like this, there's people here today that you're asking God, God, before I serve you, I want you to do something for me. And he's saying to you, sir, ma'am, you clearly don't understand your situation. The situation you're in, I've already done something about it. Question now is, what should you do? This is the question that those men, those women asked Peter. What should we do? I'm telling you what you should do. Right now is a moment of repentance. Repent. You haven't been baptized. What are you waiting on? If you've repented months ago and have not, be, have not been baptized, you need to be baptized. Your first proclamation of faith to the world is you going down the old man and coming up the new man. Being in community with people so that you can begin to become a disciplined follower of Christ. And if you have been slow to the walk and God has been trying to push you along, you need to repent of that. So wherever you are in the building, I just want you to lift your hands. And I want to single out some people. If you've never giving your life to Jesus Christ. Today is the day for you to receive him. This is not about emotion. This is about a decision. This is about understanding who holds your life in his hand. It is Jesus. This is about you hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over small things. I want to walk you into what I've already planned from you for the foundation of the world. If you're here today and you're receiving Jesus Christ, or if you're repenting, I want you to repent, repeat this after me. Say, Father, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was crucified and died on the cross. He went in the grave, and on the third day, he rose again. I repent of my sins. And I ask you, Lord, to fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Empower me 
to be those who are the ones are sent. Empower me to proclaim the good news about what you have done for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, for setting me free. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everyone said amen, amen, amen. I want to pray a blessing over you. Father, I thank you for all that are watching online. I thank you for all that are in our campuses, North Cobb, Hamilton Mill, Norcross. Lord, I pray an empowerment to come over us. As not only we hear the word, but as we do the word, that as we walk this out, that we are going to be empowered as sent ones to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen.